Hi, welcome back to Defining You with Dr. DeVries. My name is Dr. DeVries, and on this episode, we will discuss other supplements that might help with symptoms of depression. So last time we discussed St. John's wort, Sam E, and fish oil. So, Dr. DeVries, since last time we spoke, have you tried any of the supplements we mentioned? I know there were a cornucopia on offer. Any experience? So, yes. As a matter of fact, I have been taking fish oil for about a month now. And I was very surprised that I did not get any fishy taste afterward. Really? Interesting. That's like some things I say may be true. Right. And I also did not experience any side effects, which was great. I personally did not notice any mood changes, but I did not expect so. The good news is that I didn't get any adverse side effects. I'm glad to hear my host is fit and healthy and ready to go. Right. Co-host, I should say. So which supplements uh, will we discuss today? Well, as usual, you have prepared for us a smorgasbord of options to discuss. The first one we will have is creatine, vitamin D, saffron, and we're also going to mention cannabidiol. A lot of patients we both experience commonly asked about this supplement, and they ask whether it reduces anxiety, depression, pain, and we kind of want to do a little more of a deep dive into it. Right, and a lot of people don't actually realize that cannabidiol is different than cannabis, so I'd like that's why we picked one of those supplements. So let's start with creatine. I'm sure that gym buffs out there are well aware of this supplement. I know you were not nice in <laughs> the bulging muscles underneath that sweatshirt of yours. <laughs> so many people use it um, due to the fact that it helps with exercise performance, mainly by rapidly producing energy during intense activity. So creatine plays a huge role in our brain energy, homeostasis, and altered cerebral energy metabolism. And actually, altered cerebral energy metabolism may be involved in the pathophysiology of depression itself. So what you said, Dr. DeVries, sounds great, but can you explain it to me? How does this help with depression? Sure. So before we get to that, I would like to first go over what creatine is in the first place. So it's a molecule that is produced in the body from something called amino acids. And in short, amino acids are compounds that participate in many functions in our body. So that's from neurotransmission to the synthesis of enzymes, various hormones, and of course, proteins. And all of the protein, including the protein we eat and the protein in our bodies, is made from some combination or other of just 20 amino acids. And they are primarily made in our livers, and it serves a role in energy production by donating something called phosphate groups. So too much science for you? Maybe just a little, but uh, it's always enthralling learning about new things. So where can we find this wonderful supplement called creatine? 
So it can be found in some foods and is most prevalent in meat and fish, but athletes commonly take it as a powder in capsules. So this is another reason for athletes taking some powders up their nose. So the athletes usually take it uh, during exercise and the primary benefit of creatine is an improvement in strength and the overall power output. Also, it has been shown that it might benefit cognitive performance by reducing mental fatigue and improve something called working memory. But definitely we need more research studies on the cognitive effects of creatine. Okay, so it sounds like we know this is going to help men in college get even more swole, as they say. But how is it going to work on working to reduce depressive symptoms? So I've actually researched several studies out there that show very promising results. One study by Lyo, L-Y-O-O, et al., used 5 grams a day of creatine as an adjunct therapy. So they used it alongside SSRIs, and it showed promise in actually reducing depression, and they assessed it by rating scales, particularly the Hamilton rating scale for depression. And they found that it was safe over the eight weeks the study lasted. I also found this one interesting study, this time on female adolescents by Kondo, K-O-N-D-O at all, and they used four grams per day. Any relation to the Marie Kondos of the world? I don't think there's any relation to that, but that's an interesting thought. Mm. We'll Google that after. So that study actually used four grams of creatine per day. They gave it to adolescent females suffering from depression, and it showed that it significantly reduced depression over eight weeks. So the supplementation was not compared to placebo. However, this means that the number may be inflated, but the results were very significant. And one last study I'd like to mention is by Susan Reutemann et al., which treated eight unipolar and two bipolar patients for four weeks with about three to five creatine monohydrate supplements. So The results were really significant for that study. Actually, depression improved in all of the subjects that were tested, but both subjects with bipolar disorder experienced worsening symptoms and actually developed hypomania slash mania. So this study is important because it definitely suggests that creatine can be beneficial as an augmenter in unipolar depression, but it can actually precipitate mania or hypomania in some predisposed individuals. I was not aware of all these studies and information. It sounds like a really viable option for a lot of people to consider. So what are some of the side effects or what should someone be watching out for when they take this supplement? So it may increase levels of creatinine in the body. And I'm not saying creatine, I'm saying creatinine. And creatinine is actually a marker of poor kidney function. But this increase isn't because creatine itself damages the kidney, but it's because more of the creatinine, the marker, is being produced by our body. So naturally, the levels might be falsely elevated. And besides minor GI issues, creatine is very, very safe to take. 
Well, that sounds reasonable. It makes sense about why people would get creatine and creatinine mixed up. So how do we take it? So there are actually many different forms of creatine out there available on the market. But creatine monohydrate is the cheapest and most effective form. Another option someone could try is micronized creatine monohydrate, which actually dissolves in water more easily and can be more practical for some people. Many users take about 5 grams per day due to the low price of creatine and the possibility of experience increased benefits. But higher doses up to 10 grams per day may be beneficial for people with, let's say, high amount of muscle mass and high activity levels. So someone like yourself, Dr. DeVries, then? Yes, exactly. I even take more. Okay. So what? thank you for explaining creatine to, to the audience and to listeners and to myself. You're welcome. Just one thing I should mention, the most common side effect of taking creatine is stomach cramping. But that can usually occur if someone does not drink enough water with it. Diarrhea and nausea can also occur when too much creatine is supplemented all at once. So you might want to consider take, taking it two or three times per day instead of one single dose. That makes sense. Okay, so now the big D. Let's move on to the vitamin D. So what is vitamin D? So some quick facts that we have put together for us all. Vitamin D is a fat-soluble nutrient. It's one of the 24 micronutrients that is critical for human survival. The sun is the major source in the human body of this nutrient, but vitamin D is also found naturally in substances such as fish, eggs. So it is added to dairy products pretty commonly, and the body produces vitamin D. So it does this through uh, cholesterol and using UV light from sun exposure. There's a whole complicated process that uh, Dr. DeVries and I learned for step one that we will not recite here. Now, there's only a sufficient amount of UV light coming from the sun when the UV index is three or higher, which occurs year-round near the equator between the 37th parallels, unlike in, say, uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Is that by Australia, the 37th parallel? I believe it probably is. More so consistent with Darwin, which is in the Northern Territory. Given that you're from Australia, you must be pretty deficient from vitamin D. I would say so. In upstate New York. When was the last time you checked it? Um, I haven't had, got, got some good D in a while. <laughs> no, in, in a matter of fact, I, I have it checked pretty regularly. And I was actually low um, about a couple of years ago. I was in the 14s. Um, unfortunately, just given the fact that the climate that we live in does not provide adequate um, amounts of vitamin D, especially in the winter, we don't really venture outside, so... So anyone living in Wisconsin right now, please check your vitamin D levels. By order of Dr. DeVries. Mm -hmm. So some other facts about vitamin D is that it has not only been associated with reducing symptoms of depression, but linked to decreasing the risk of colon cancer, the pesky bone fracture risk, and some evidence that vitamin D may improve inflammation and clinical symptoms in COVID-19 patients. Maybe we can make vitamin D the new ivermectin. Well, let's post that on Instagram after. Perfect. Let's see if it's viral. 
Okay, so what do the studies show in terms of vitamin D improving mood? Well, I am so glad you asked me. So there's a, a couple of studies. Um, in one randomized controlled double-blinded placebo-controlled clinical trial, I know that's a mouthful, done by Saperamanesh et al., everyone's at hell these days, showed that high-dose vitamin D supplementation reduced depressive symptoms and improved markers for glucose homeostasis in individuals with major depressive disorder, MDD. That's very impressive. How do you take it? How should we recommend that individuals take it? For moderate supplementation, we recommend 1,000 to 2,000 IUs or international units of vitamin D3. Now, this is uh, sufficient to meet the needs of most of the population. So this is the lowest effective dose range. There are higher dose ranges, but these are really based on body weight. And they're in the range of 20 to 80 international units per kilogram daily. Now, remember, uh, pounds to kilogram. So there is 2.2 pounds to a kilogram. So uh, if you get the your wonderful weight in pounds and divide by 2.2, you will get the weight in kilos. Vitamin D3 supplementation is recommended over D2 since D3 is more effectively used in the body. Let's move on to saffron. So Dr. DeVries, what exactly is saffron besides something delicious French chefs use? Yes, it's very expensive, but like you said, it's a spice and it's derived from a flower called Crocus sativus and has traditionally been used uh, to flavor food. And it has gained recently scientific attention for its potential antidepressant effects and is available in extract form as a dietary supplement. So Dr. DeVries, what do some of these studies show in regards to helping with symptoms of depression? So I actually found a lot of studies mentioning saffron for treatment of major depression. So I looked at about 31 studies out there, and there is enough evidence that we can confidently say that saffron has notable antidepressant effects. So I'll just mention um, this one study. It compared actually saffron to sertraline, Zoloft, which is an SSRI, a pharmaceutical in this randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial with 50 participants over the age of 60, and they took 60 milligrams of saffron or 100 milligrams of sertraline daily for six weeks. So 100 milligrams of sertraline is a pretty good dose for an antidepressant effect, and the results were staggering. So both groups saw a similar reduction in depression in this rating scale called Hamilton Depression Rating Scale. Another study that I looked at used 30 milligrams of saffron daily in persons with mild to moderate depression, also over the course of six weeks, and it appeared to be comparable in efficacy to... They used in that study 100 milligrams of imipramine, which is a tricyclic antidepressant, so it's not an SSRI like Zoloft, but it works in a similar way where it increases serotonin and norepinephrine levels in the brain. So they used it as a reference drug and showed improvement in the depression scales on the saffron side. Also, another study that I found interesting compared the effect on saffron on fluoxetine-induced sexual dysfunction. So as you might know, and some of the listeners out there, 
One of the most common side effects of SSRIs is sexual dysfunction, unfortunately. So this study found that supplementing 30 milligrams of saffron extract daily for just four weeks in men treated with SSRIs who experience erectile dysfunction as a result of treatment with um, noted an improvement in erectile scores relative to placebo at two weeks and four weeks of treatment. So relatively short amount of time to change such a big side effect and um, something that ruins marriages and relationships, I think. However, there was no improvement of sexual satisfaction or orgasm relative to placebo. That is quite unfortunate, but it is, as you pointed out, one of the most significant issues we struggle with as prescribers of SSRIs or any of the antidepressant drugs is uh, a lot of them suffer with this very similar side effect profile in relation to sexual dysfunction. Right. I certainly struggle with this in the clinic. Uh, People take SSRIs, depression improves, so automatically their mood improves, then they start going out on dates, maybe they start having a sexual relationship, and then they can't perform well. So what do you do? Uh, I guess I have to start treating people with saffron. Apparently so. We need to uh, make friends with the French cooking store. So, Dr. Doris, how would someone go about taking this? So, for chronic supplementation, we would recommend taking about 15 milligrams of saffron extract twice a day. So, total 30 milligrams. The This is the advised upper limit if you constantly supplement it. It's relatively safe, but it can cause vomiting and nausea at doses above 12,000 milligrams. So I hope no one out there is taking so much saffron. I don't even know how you can take so much. That's 12 grams. Right. That's So in saffron, that's probably like $10,000 worth. <laughs> per day of saffron. You would have to sit there all day and eat saffron in order to get nausea and vomiting from it. Plus your tongue would be very yellow. Yes. So we move on. Last but not least, let's just mention a bit about cannabidiol. Since I do have a lot of patients asking me questions about it, uh, mainly for the treatment of their uh, chronic pain or fibromyalgia or neuropathic pain. So first and foremost, what is the difference between cannabis and cannabidiol? Cannabidiol or CBD very popular these days. Everything has CBD, CBD drinks, CBD teas, sell CBD these days at Starbucks. Everything has CBD in it. But CBD is the most, second most abundant cannabinoid in cannabis after THC, tetrahydrocannabidiol. THC is the supplement that gets you high. CBD on its own will not get you high, unlike the THC. THC is also the stuff they test for in urine drug screens. Second, isolated CBD has shown a lot of promise in a lot of different studies um, for the treatment of different conditions, ranging from anxiety, pain, as well as inflammation. So is CBD legal? Well, it is a complicated, meandering gray area. CBD products that are derived from hemp with a low to zero percentage of THC, below the threshold of 0.3%, are currently in a legal gray area in the US. And that's commonly what you see sold um, over the counter at um, 
health food stores and other places is things that are under the 0.03% THC concentration. So that means that these products can have some of THC in there. Correct. And and this is something I think consumers should be wary of. Patients can try to seek out alternative therapies such as CBD oil and other products that contain CBD oil, but this should be done in consultation with and with the advice of their physician. My personal experience was we had a, unfortunately, a young boy who was diagnosed with a pretty severe schizophrenia and, and caused mutism. The uh, boy's mother yeah, I was making sure the patient was taking his medications consistently, but she thought it couldn't hurt to add some CBD oil to him to help. Unfortunately, um, this led us on the rabbit hole of him test having a positive urine drug screen for THC, and we couldn't really find a reason for it. We thought, is he sneaking in marijuana? What is going on? And where is this coming from? And is this worsening his psychosis, schizophrenia symptoms? Now, what turned out happening is the mother was not aware of the purity and the strength. She was buying it from a less than reputable retailer. And unfortunately, you know, THC is largely unregulated as as a supplement, as most supplements are. They're not regulated by the FDA or anything you like that. You mean cannabidiol, not THC? Yes, thank you for correcting me. CBD is largely unregulated. And this unregulation really leads to a lot of people buying CBD products that may actually contain higher levels of THC than is stated on the bottle or is legal or I should say, in this legal gray zone. And this can not only affect the cognition and have similar effects, albeit at very low doses, to regular marijuana or THC use. So we always caution our listeners to try and buy a more reputable brand of supplements, whatever they choose, and be discerning with their supplement use, as well as discuss these supplements directly with your physician or healthcare provider in order to make sure there's no conflict um, and there's not going to be any interactions. Right. And finding a reputable brand in itself is could be kind of hard. We don't even know what the, what to recommend, what reputable brands, because we don't use it, but... And, and to be clear also, there's no way to say this is more reputable than another and that would be disingenuous of us to give you that type of thing. Right. So when I was researching this, the history of CBD, how it came about in the market in the United States is pretty interesting. So there was this Farm Act that was passed in December of 2018 and it legalized hemp. And hemp is the source of where CBD comes from. Also the source of where THC comes from, which is cannabis. So when this Farm Act was passed, the CBD advocates rejoiced. CBD supplements were already commonplace in 2018, but now in 2019, they were pretty much everywhere after this Farm Act was passed. So some estimates suggested that up to 7% of adults have used CBD, and there were up to $2 billion in sales in 2018. So... I will ask you again, is it legal? So currently, 
Non-pharmaceutical CBD is technically only legal under very specific conditions. So this is when the source hemp, in this case, was produced in a matter consistent with the, the farm bill and by a licensed grower. Now, there's a lot of things that complicate this further, as well as a lot of bureaucracy. The DEA and individual states can also have different legal stances on CBD. So the clarification on CBD legality should have come with in the first half of 2019. As far as un, uh, 100% unequivocally legal CBD that goes, the liquid medication Epidiolex was FDA approved in 2018 for a special type of infant seizures that are refractory to other medications. So again, not a first line, not even a second line, but really like a third line in your back pocket if you really need to use it. Note that this is not the first cannabis extract drug we have. Uh, there is another one present called Nabixamols. The brand name is Sativex. It is a cannabis extract spray with a one-to-one ratio of THC to CBD. And this was approved as a drug in the United Kingdom in 2010, but unfortunately has not been approved here in the United States. Hmm, interesting. So how should someone take it? That's really hard to say. Um, so in general, CBG products, except for the pharmaceutical epi, epidiolex, that's trying to say that 10 times in a row, are really not regulated as we talked about. So batches can vary in potency as well as purity. So, and not only that, but some products have pretty much only CBD in them and others have other cannabinoids, such as you'll see the, on them whole plant extract and single compound extracts on shelves. Others have more than the allowed percentages of THC included. So CBD in a lot of cases is really vastly understudied at the moment. So there's different doses are really compared against each other and against the placebo. And this is simply a matter of fact of Unfortunately, we don't have controlled sources of these medications, I shouldn't say supplements, so that we are able to realistically get appropriate comparison studies. Right. So essentially, I found no long-term safety studies that were studied out there and even no several-month-long trials. They're very rare for CBD. So in conclusion, there are not many studies on CBD so I do not generally recommend that patients take it. Specifically in depression, I saw one study that was observational and did not really report improvement in mood. So generally, I do not recommend this supplement like other supplements for treatment or help with mood or depression. There are other better supplements out there that we discussed in this podcast. This is, brings us to the end of another episode of Defining You with Dr. Martin DeVries and uh, your co-host, Dr. Vincent Fryer. We want to thank you all for listening today. And we also invite you to rate us, subscribe, leave us any feedback, send us an email on anything you'd like to hear from us in the future. Or leave me a comment on my website, whatisyourdefinition.com. And one last thing, just remember to define you. Thank you. <laughs>